Welcome back, folks. I am your host, the NFL Always Offseason GM, Fred. And we've got a great episode here planned for you today. We're going to get into our draft winners, our draft losers, and then also take a look at some of our, our draft prop bets to see how we ended up there. Like, as always, we're, we're going to keep ourselves accountable here. So without further ado, we're just going to get right into the winners right away. So leading off our winners list, and I'm going to try to keep these in order the best I can in terms of who is our favorite and who is our least favorite. So obviously the first one we name, our favorite draft of them all. And the last one we name here is our, be like our third or fourth favorite draft. So right off the bat here, it's going to be the Baltimore Ravens. And I really tried my best not to have only teams that made multiple first uh, round picks because obviously we're going to be more biased to them because they're picking more often. So they're going to get more of the guys we like. But truly, the Ravens really knocked this one out of the park. Their first selection was at 14, and they end up taking Kyle Hamilton, who on my board was the, my number two player of this entire draft. At 25, they get Tyler Linderbaum, who is my number 11th player in this entire draft. And then David Ajabo, who prior to his uh, Achilles injury, I had him as like a 1-2 a grade. They get him in midway through the second round. Uh, Travis Jones had the third pick. Our third round selection, that's another guy that I had as a second round pick. And then they get Jalen Armour Davis, Charlie Kolar, Jordan Stout, Isaiah Likely, Demarion Williams. Wow, they had a ton of fourth round picks here. And then uh, in the sixth round, they get Tyler Beatty. So, yep, all that whole list was fourth round selections. And at the end there, they get Tyler Beatty, the running back out of Missouri. So let, let's just talk about this class here for a little bit at the top. Hamilton, very scheme-diverse player. He can do a lot of different things for this defense. And they've really put a, an emphasis on safeties here this offseason between the, the Marcus Williams signing and the Kyle Hamilton draft selection here. So I'm really interested to see how they use them, whether they use them as like a big linebacker on late downs. And on early downs, they get them in like one high, uh, two deep looks. I'm really curious as to see what they they, they end up doing here because I know they're, they're a heavy pressure team as well too. But Kyle Hamilton, very diverse player, one of my favorite guys in this draft. And to see him fall this far, was it was just kind of crazy in my mind. But there was a good point made that him coming in at 6'4", 220, like he carries his weight very well for how tall he is. But how, how much more weight can you expect him to put on, especially when he gets in an NFL training program? Like if he puts on 5 to 10 pounds, he's... He's almost like at a linebacker size now, so it's going to be difficult for him to to remain at one position, and maybe that's what pushed him down the boards here. Uh, kind of the the vice versa side of things here on Tyler Litterbaum, he ends up falling down the draft boards for being a little bit too small. And uh, when you think of the Ravens, you think of this power run scheme, their their quarterback run heavy stuff, and Linderbaum doesn't necessarily fit into that. But at this at this point in the draft. And it's at an interior position in need here for the Ravens. It just made way too much sense. Uh, There's a lot of talk that he was going to fall into the second round. I wasn't a huge believer. I knew in my last mock I, I ended up having him fall. But there's a reason I got a first-round grade on this guy. I think he's he's a game-changer. He's a starter at the next level. He's going to be really good, I think. And at this point in the draft, once you get outside of like the, the, the top 20 picks – in the first round, you're just looking for starters. And I think that this is a guy that you plug and play day one. So Linderbaum at 25, great value. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on the job just because it, it's kind of an incomplete grade. Uh, he looked 
he only had about one year starting under his belt. He had really good production, really struggled against the run. But after till the number one thing he had going for him was some of this athleticism and this this burst off the ball. And you lost a ton of that uh, with your with his Achilles injury. So I, I don't want to like judge him too unfairly here because it's going to be essentially a red shirt, and who knows what he looks like coming back from that. It's uh, the third round selection. They get Travis Jones. This is a guy I really liked. Like if, if you if you're talking about him at the end of the first, not a huge fan, but getting him here in the third round, I think that's really big for the the Baltimore Ravens because he's he's kind of that really aggressive two down uh, run stopper that they really like to have in that defense and not having to take a guy in the first round or the second round where you can kind of expend some of them draft picks on different areas of need. I think that that, that's a big deal. And I think that getting him in the third is, you know, about 20 to 30 picks later than what I was thinking he was going to go. So Travis Jones, love the pick there as well. There wasn't a ton of picks in this draft that I really did like and just kind of pointing out some of these ones that were down the board here. Uh, Daniel Falele, that's another guy that I thought was going to be like a second or third round grade. They get him in the fourth, and he's like almost a copy and paste replica of Orlando Brown Jr., who they did a really good job of developing. Uh, taking a look at a couple other picks, uh, they double up on tight ends. Charlie Kolar, he's more of your do it all uh, blocking, uh, not necessarily a huge dynamic receiving threat, but can do a little bit of everything and, and start for you right away. Or I'm not going to say start, but play for you right away at least. And then they also select Isaiah Likely, who's kind of the opposite end of that spectrum. He's more of this this move tight end, this Y type of target that you detach from the formation and a big-time receiving threat. So they get two different skill sets, and it seems like they want to go back to that three tight end look that they really like. And then the Tyler Beatty selection, that's another one that he had some buzz that was uh, more toward like the, you know the fourth or fifth round. But at this point in the draft, it doesn't matter as long as you get selected. So they get a depth running back piece to kind of add to that room as well to where they've had some injuries in uh, recent memory. So like I said, not a lot of picks I didn't like. Those were all picks that I, I really, really liked. The only one that maybe I don't like is taking a punter in the fourth round where unless you're really, really sold on this guy, Jordan Stout out of Penn State, well, I would necessarily try to wait till undrafted free agents or maybe at the late part of the draft when you're still getting a punter value. I don't know. I That's the only thing I can say is you can still get a starting level player in the fourth round. So that's about the only pick that I didn't like. So as a recap here, we liked every single one of them except one. So in my book, that's a pretty darn good draft, especially when you're killing it like the Ravens did. Uh, my next favorite draft is also a, a very kind of chalky pick in terms of best drafts from the weekend here. It's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Philadelphia Eagles ended up coming in once again with multiple first-round picks, and they end up leaving with some really good selections. And their first – we're just going to go through them all. I'll read them throughout. Uh, try to read their position and their school that they're from, and then also uh, what round they were selected in. So their first selection is going to be Jordan Davis, a defensive tackle from Georgia. They ended up trading their other first-round pick for A.J. Or, excuse me, AJ Brown – in addition to another third-round pick, I believe, was coming over with that as well, too. Then in the second round, they select Cam Jurgens, center out of Nebraska. In the third round, they select N'Kobe Dean, linebacker out of Georgia. In the sixth round, they select Kyron Johnson, linebacker out of Kansas. And in the sixth round, they select Grant Calcaterra, 
tight end SMU. So Jordan Davis, one of my favorite selections in this entire draft. Uh, this is a guy that I think I had ranked 14. So getting him at 13 is right exactly where you'd think you're taking him. So you're going to get a guy that's going to be able to plug into this middle of this defense. And really, I'm curious to see how teams deploy Jordan Davis. And having him go to Philly, I think, was kind of a really good blessing in disguise for them because when you look at the, how they rotate their defensive linemen, they're not asking you to play extended snaps. So when all this, this smoke around, oh, he's only a two-down player, he's not your traditional, hey, we're going to trot you out there for 80% of the snaps and pull you off on third downs. He might have to play like a reduced number of snaps, but he's going to get his pass rushing opportunities, I think. And I think he's really going to do a good job of trying to collapse the inside of that uh, defensive line and kind of step up into that place that's going to be vacated here in the near future by Fletcher Cox. Moving along here, I, I don't want to try to get into murky waters where we're grading trades, but in this case, when you're shipping out the capital, they did a first and a third for A.J. Brown and then signed him to this huge deal. He's got to be a part of the equation. And really, when they got all these picks, everybody knew they were going to try to do something big with them. And the way it sounds is this was really contingent till about two picks before the they came back on the clock at 18. So it came right down to the wire, but they, they ended up pulling it off. They needed a big-time target outside of Devontae Smith. He he's looked really promising in his rookie year, but he, he didn't show that number wide receiver one potential. I think he can be a great number two, but A.J. Brown, bona fide number one wide receiver, comes in. He can do it all for you. He can run a complete route tree. He can attack you down the field. He can break tackles. Really dynamic, and it's going to give you – a fair shake with this offensive line and how good they were last year. And now that all these weapons are around Jalen Hurts to really evaluate him this year to see if he's your guy moving forward. Uh, moving along, the next selection is going to be Cam Jurgens, center out of Nebraska. He was an uber-athletic offensive lineman. He's he's kind of in that same mold with Linderbaum where he's a little undersized, but you're still going to get a replacement. And this is actually the kind of scheme that, that can support an undersized offensive lineman. You think about Jason Kelsey, and everybody's seen by now the broadcast video of him saying this is his favorite guy in the draft that reminds him of himself. And he's more of an undersized, super athletic, super gritty offensive lineman. So what better person to learn from and eventually take the reins over here in the next year or two other than Cam Jurgens? Now, one of the the most value-selected picks, and it came out a little bit later in the draft as to why he fell this far, is going to be N'Kobe Dean. He had some true round one buzz, but, you know, granted it was end of round one, but having him fall, you know, 40 to 50 selections, we something had to have been up, and we found out that there was a couple of injury issues that teams were really concerned about on whether or not they could fix his shoulder, and I think it might have been a hamstring or a knee as well, too, in there. But I think that... The play, even if you have to redshirt him for a year to get completely healthy, what you're going to get out of this guy is a top-notch leader and a super physical player. I don't care if he's undersized. There's been a lot of undersized linebackers in this league that have carved out a, a name for themselves. You know, Jonathan Vilma, London Fletcher. We think of guys of that mold that, you know, are sub-six foot but are just super athletic and super knowledgeable and really great leaders, and it, it really stands out. So I think he has a chance to be that on this defense, albeit it might be a, an extra year down the road on top of what they were expecting. But I really like that selection as well, too. 
I didn't really get selecting another linebacker and not trying to address the, the defensive back need for the, the Philadelphia Eagles. They obviously don't value it the same way that uh, other teams do. They're more than happy with uh, plugging it with some veterans with uh, late-round draft picks and uh, making some cheaper signings on the back end. So that was the only thing that I might have done different. I know that they had a couple of six-round selections here, but these are kind of just you know guys that are going to fill out the, the special teams and be depth players for you at best. Now getting into some of the different selections, I don't want to go chalk on everything that we're doing here. But one of the teams that I really liked what they did uh, regardless that they didn't have a ton of selections, was going to be, I know it's going to shock you, but it's going to be the Carolina Panthers. And the Carolina Panthers ended up trading a ton of draft picks last year to try to get some corners. And they ended up getting, I believe it was Stephon Gilmore, and then it was C.J. Henderson from the, uh, excuse me, Jacksonville Jaguars. And basically that left them with a first-round selection, and I believe it was a third and a fourth round selection so when we're taking a look at this oh on top of the Sam Darnold trade as well so that's how they lost their second round pick this year so there was a ton of buzz around them going QB round one and it seemed like that wasn't going to be an absolute reach but then as soon as you've seen how the draft shook out with the two edges going off the board right away and then we had the two cornerbacks and then we get to the number five overall selection and Kayvon Thibodeau comes off the board. So essentially, you're seeing the Carolina Panthers have their choice at offensive tackle at pretty much whoever they wanted. And basically, the Giants skipping out on it basically said that they were okay with whoever's left. So the big question was, were they going to take Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis, or were they going to go and finally get the left tackle of the future for them? Since they've been neglecting it for about the last decade, as Joe Marino likes to reference, that Jordan Gross was their last uh, repeat starter on opening day at left tackle. And they elected to go with the hometown hero. They went with Ikemikwanu, the NC State product, the nasty run blocker who's got some upside as a pass blocker. And finally, it seems as though they're going to get a bookend that's really going to be able to kind of keep these, this quarterback room upright and build this offensive line out the way that they should be. So I really like that selection. I came Kwan, who ended up, I believe, being my number four player in this entire draft. So getting him at six, I know it's not a huge bump here, but when we're talking the top of the draft board, uh, just even a couple spots makes a really big deal. Uh, moving right along here, they did end up uh, getting a quarterback to round out their quarterback room and hopefully push Sam Darnold to com to compete if they don't decide to go to the Baker Mayfield route. And they got Matt Corral in the third round. Matt Corral was a guy that I liked, but I didn't love. I thought that he was going to be more of this developmental, like second round type of player. So getting him in the third round is a little bit of value as well too. And really, I don't think he does anything like phenomenally well. He He doesn't have this laser rocket arm. He's not this super athlete at the quarterback position. Uh, he's got pretty decent uh, accuracy, and he knows how to read a defense. I know he did a lot of one-read stuff in Lane Kiffins, but I think he's looking in the right spots, and I think he's processing in the way some of these reads are supposed to go along. So I think he could step in, and he could play for you right off the bat. I don't necessarily know if you want to to, 
do that, maybe just try to bring him along slowly. So that's that's my thinking. But I think that this coaching staff is going to be hard pressed to try to get an answer right away. So he may be pushed into a role very early. At the number four selection, they get another guy that I was a really big fan of in Brandon Smith. And Brandon Smith is the linebacker out of Penn State. And he's an uber-athletic guy when you watch the film. I I think he made it on the freaks list for Bruce Feldman at the beginning of the the year last year on what he could bring as a a second-level defender. But when I turned the tape on, I I was a little less impressed. He looked like this very rangy athletic guy that has the ability to do some of these these great things that you want to see. Uh, but he just hadn't quite put it all together. Similar fashion to like Baron Browning, but Baron Browning in last year's draft was more of a well-rounded pass rusher, I thought. So I think you're you're kind of shooting for the ceiling here. It's not a guy that's just going to be playing special teams. Well, that, that's where he might have to cut his teeth at first. But I think he's got some starter upside, especially if he can kind of translate some of those athletic traits onto the field into some big-time playmaking ability. Now, their next selection was going to be Amari Barno in the sixth round out of Virginia Tech. And then also another selection that they got here to round out the sixth round is going to be Cade Mays. He's a kind of do-it-all guard out of Tennessee. He's played just about every spot on the offensive line. And this one, and it's not even lazy uh, comparing here, calling him the possibility to be the next Trey Smith. But I really like his ability to be that next Trey Smith. He's played everything from offensive tackle to offensive guard. And he's kind of fell down the draft board, mainly because of the supporting cast around him in Tennessee and transferring out of Alabama. But Cade, Cade May is a really good depth offensive lineman in the sixth round. And then they get the speedy cornerback, Kalen Barnes, in the seventh out of Baylor, who ran the, the blazing 40 at the Combine. So I really like this draft class. I know they only had five or six selections here. But I think that for what you had and the quality of picks that you had, I think you were able to do the best you could at plugging some of these needs, getting a top-end tackle, getting a a competitive quarterback to round out your room, and getting a second-level defender and some of these guys here in offensive line depth. I really liked what they were able to do to try to round this draft out and try to piece together a competent uh, draft class and roster heading into the season. The last team that's going to make our list here for great draft uh, draft classes is going to be the Tennessee Titans. And I'm going to head this off here by saying I tried, like I said, to be neutral. I didn't try to include the, tra- the, the trades in here too much. But when you take a look at it, I've been a huge proponent of – not paying receivers lately. If if you follow us on Twitter, you've seen some of the stuff I'm putting out there. Basically that wide receivers are approaching running back range in terms of value in the draft compared to paying players. Uh, I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying you shouldn't pay wide receivers. I'm saying that you shouldn't be paying wide receivers $30 million a year and taking up the same, you know, similar cap hits to quarterbacks. And, you know, A.J. Brown's approaching that range. So I can understand, especially in a, a Titans situation where you have some of these other players that are eating up big chunks of the cap and you can't find replacements at their position. So I understand the trade. I would not have done it. I would have paid A.J. Brown. He's a he's a cornerstone building block. 
But when you take a look at what they were able to get back in that trade and and what they else they were able to add to this roster, I think they did a really good job of making these trades count. So when we're taking a look at this, uh, their first selection was uh, wide receiver Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. Second-round selection, Roger McCreary, cornerback out of Auburn. Third-round selection, Nicholas Petit-Friere, uh, offensive tackle out of Ohio State. Third-round selection, Malik Willis, quarterback out of Liberty. Running back, Hassan Haskins out of Michigan, fourth round. Round four, Chi, I, I apologize if I butcher this one, Chigazim Okanako. I apologize, tight end out of Maryland. Round five, we get Kyle Phillips, wide receiver out of UCLA. Round six, they get Theo Jackson, defensive back out of Tennessee. Round six, they get Chance Campbell, linebacker out of Ole Miss. And then that's going to be how they round out their draft here. So some of my favorite selections here and how they lined up. Traylon Burks, I believe, came in for me as a wide receiver three in this draft. And when we're taking a look at when they selected him at 18, I had him ranked 19. So that's right about where I thought he should be coming off the board. And I think it look when you take a look at what Trey Burks is, I think he's almost the closest thing to a clone you can get of A.J. Brown. They play very stylistically similar. There's not a lot of limiting factors in their route tree. They have both have more of that long speed, and they're both yak gods. They're able to get yards after the catch at a huge clip. So in terms of shipping out A.J. Brown for $25 million, but also signing a rookie wide receiver for about six. I, th- I think you're gaining about $19 million in cap space to go somewhere else. But I also understand at the same time that this is kind of a, this is a lottery ticket. This isn't going to win you the prize. This is just something that gets your foot in the door. So it's a, in terms of that, I know I understand where they're coming from, but I really like what they were able to replace A.J. Brown with at this point with this selection. In the second round, Roger McCreary, another guy that I think I had ranked. Let's take a look here at my list. And I had a second round grade on Roger McCreary. So picking him in the second round, not a huge reach. And the only thing that I thought was a little interesting is I kind of thought that they were leaning more towards the the uber athletic, long, lanky, like man cover kind of guys. And Roger McCreary had some of the shorter arms we've seen on a cornerback in, in recent memory. So I think that might hold him to the slot. That's your first reaction to this. But in in terms of what they already have, they got Christian Fulton. They got their first-round selection, Caleb Farley, from last year. And now they got Roger McCreary. I think it's just a matter of getting your best guys on the field. And at this point in the draft, they've seen some serious value with McCreary. So I can't argue it there. And the the pick matches my grade. Nicholas Petit Freer. Uh, once again, they get they get another left tackle here. It seems like that this might be a selection to usher. I believe it's Taylor Lewan, uh, some some reassurance or insurance against him getting hurt and maybe developing him Nicholas uh, Petit Freer into a long term starter, and which he has the potential to be. Obviously, him going in the third round, it's more of a, a project in terms of his potential as an offensive tackle. But I can't knock ever getting old offensive line depth in the middle rounds of the draft. I think that's that's where you see a lot of these big-time value picks come in where you're going to save a lot of money in the, in the early years. So I like the selection there as well. 
But the one that really won me over and and got them added onto my my wins list is going to be this one right here. It's going to be the Malik Willis selection. I thought he was a very, very special playmaker when you turn on the film. And I don't care that it's uh, against D1 FBS. It's not in the SEC or the Big Ten or the Pac-10 or the the ACC like that doesn't bother me if if we're speaking candidly I thought he had special arm talent I thought he had special athleticism and I thought he should have been a first round pick I would have been okay with him being a first round pick where you're going to get yourself in trouble is these teams that would have made him a first round pick are going to be the ones that are going to trot him out there right away and try to just throw him to the wolves and that's where you're going to see him lean on that running ability too much and not become refined as a passer. Him going to the Tennessee Titans, I think that this is going to be their long-term answer once Tannehill's gone. Uh, Tannehill's got, I believe, at least one to two more years here on this current contract before they can get an out. But getting a guy like Malik Willis with his ceiling in the third round, that's a huge steal. There's almost no... No risk with this one here because if he ends up not panning out, he's a third-round selection. He's not carrying that same weight that a first-round selection has. So I loved I loved the selection here. It's all upside for the Tennessee Titans. They were able to round out a running back room and get a little bit of insurance for Derrick Henry as well, too, with the Hassan, Hassan Haskins selection here out of Michigan. Uh, we all know that Deontay Foreman did a really good job of filling in for Derrick Henry. But when you're putting that amount of carries on a running back's body, I think it's important to get a a very great backup plan as well, too. And the rest of these selections here were, once again, just some depth selections that I thought were were all right picks. I didn't really love any of them, didn't really hate any of them either. But they all were able to make a little bit of sense. I thought maybe they could have invested a little bit more in wide receiver a little early. Uh, Other than Kyle Phillips, I didn't think he, he has this huge potential as a day one impact player after losing AJ Brown and not getting much out of Julio Jones I think you're kind of lacking at that position with only Robert Woods coming off an ACL and then now Traylon Burks so I think you could have helped round out this room a little bit with a future playmaker but maybe this is a sign that they're going to lean heavily into the run game and maybe go with some more of that or excuse me 12 or 21 personnel where you're getting only two wide receivers on the field but either way uh, with the selections they made getting the appropriate value in the first few and then taking a huge swing on one of my my top graded prospects getting like a plus 70 pick value I thought that was huge and I thought that made them really big winners so that's going to be all it for our, our draft winners I know we only went through four there's a lot of drafts that I like, didn't love, like, say, the Minnesota Vikings. I really like the players they selected, but there was a couple things that just held me back, like tr- trades and stuff like that. So let us know your thoughts on the winners, and we're going to take a real quick break and come back around with our least favorite uh, draft classes from this 2022 NFL draft. So for our least favorite drafts, we're just going to jump right into it. The first one that we're going to lean into here is going to be the the New England Patriots. And I know they've been a punching bag in the last few days here in terms of what they were able to turn the draft into. And not everybody says they're afraid to go against Bill Belichick. I understand that he knows a lot more about football than I'll ever probably forget about it. And that's fine. But my initial 
thoughts here on the draft are it was not very good. And it's not that – well, actually, I'm just going to come on and say it. I didn't really like any of their selections they made. Uh, with the first over – or excuse me, their first-round pick going to Cole, Cole Strange, offensive guard out of Chattanooga. Their number – or their round two selection going to Tyquan Thornton, the speedster out of Baylor playing wide receiver. Their third-round selection, Marcus Jones, cornerback Houston. In the round four, we get another cornerback, Jack Jones out of Arizona State. Another round four selection, we get Pierre Strong, running back out of South Dakota State. In round four, we get quarterback Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky. At number six, we get Kevin Harris, running back South Carolina. Now in round six, we get Sam Roberts, defensive tackle, Northwest Missouri State. Round six, they get Chase Hines, guard LSU. And then round seven, we get Andrew Stuber, offensive tackle, Michigan. Now, let's start at the top with Cole Strange. And I understand that they have a sense that he was not going to be there. They didn't want to trade up for value. Maybe they didn't value the the talent in this draft like others did. You know, maybe like the New Orleans Saints did or maybe like the New York Giants did who had traded up or had multiple selections at the top of this draft. That's fine. I understand that. But you can't you can't reach for these kind of players in in this kind of draft. Uh I know you're you're probably looking at for a, a gap scheme player, so maybe a Cam Jurgens doesn't fit your bill. A guy that was taken at in the second round that I thought was a much better player than Cole Strange, who's going to play a very similar position in the pros. But I just this is one that when it, when it came on the board, it's everybody's afraid to question it because it's Bill Belichick. But they're all kind of just looking at each other like, did that really just happen? And it did, and I I agree. I mean, there's better players on the board that you could have taken. You could have stayed put at 21. You could have had Trent McDuffie. You could have went Quay Walker, who was selected right after you, who was reported that they loved. You could have went Devin Lloyd. You could have went one of the safeties. You could have went a lot of different directions with this selection and done a lot better than what they actually ended up doing. So that's the only reason I don't like this pick. In the second round, they went to Tyquan Thornton, and I understand Tyquan Thornton, absolute burner in this draft. I believe he was like clocked at 4'2 speed in the combine. So if that's something that we're really going to value in this Patriots offense for whoever's calling the plays, I think that you could. You, this is a guy that could have been available to you in the third or the fourth round, or you could have got similar speed in production, maybe at a little bit of a discount later in this draft. I don't think you need to take a chance on a, a, a big-time speed guy this early. So that was one of the picks that I I really didn't like. Now, one of the ones that I thought was all right was going to be this Marcus Jones selection. And it, it basically the word on the street out there is that this is a guy that has serious potential as an NFL kick, kick returner. They said that he's one of the more dynamic ones that have, that's been seen on tape. So I don't hate that, taking a swing on a guy here that's an uber-athletic type of player. And I don't recall them ever taking a chance on kind of these short, small-arm types of guys. But the way that Belichick values special teamers, it doesn't surprise me that they would take a chance on a guy like Marcus Jones. Maybe not necessarily at pick three. I think if you would have waited till round four or five, might have fit my bill a little bit better. But once again, another selection that I didn't think was terrible, but not one that I would have made. 
Um, one of the picks that we'll, we'll scroll ahead to that I, I kind of liked was going to be this this Pierre Strong Jr. guy. He he clocked a really, really fast 40, 4-3-7. So I'm really curious to see what what they're trying to build this this offense out to look like because they're getting a lot of really athletically talented players to add in here. The only thing I don't like about this selection is your your room is getting very crowded once again here in New England at running back with Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris. But I think Pierre Strong brings something a little bit different to the table in terms of his skill set. He's not this big bruiser. He's not this do-it-all uh heavy usage running back out of the backfield. He's kind of this speedster guy. So he you, you got a lot of different talents. And instead of maybe building out the different talents on your wide receiver core like we've talked about in the past and that Daniel Jeremiah's referenced, maybe they're trying to do a similar thing with their running back room with how much they love the run game. So I can't knock them for that. But not a pick that I entirely hated. But I just I thought that the the resources could have been used somewhere else. Now round four they had a, another selection and this is going to be the last one that I'm going to tear apart because I could go all day about how all these guys they don't make sense. But this one really really didn't make sense to me, even in the the slightest regard. Here they ended up taking Bailey Zappi, quarterback out of Western Kentucky, and Zappi was a small school player uh, on an offense that just threw it all around the yard. And the only reason I hate this pick is you literally just got done drafting a quarterback in the first round who, for what it's worth, I thought he was the offensive rookie of the year through about 14 weeks last year before he had that stinker at Buffalo. And now you're going out here and drafting a guy to be his backup. I'm I'm pretty sure they just signed Brian Hoyer this offseason, correct? So, like, well, why are we drafting a third-string quarterback in the fourth round when you haven't been able to get wide receiver right for the last decade? Or you haven't been able to get a quality offensive lineman and keep them in the building past, like, you know, four years um, looking at you, Shaq Mason. Like, they shouldn't have shipped you out. But, hey, you know what this team needs? Some leadership out of their third-string quarterback. So I just... This one had me shaking my head when it came across the screen. Not a huge believer in it. Not a huge believer in this Patriots draft as a whole. So the next draft here that I'm I'm going to go through is near and dear to my heart. And it, it really pained me to say this, that I didn't like their draft. Because I thought that they got a lot of positions and a lot of players that are going to be able to help them early on. I just thought that they made some reaches in terms of where I had them ranked versus where they were selected. So it's going to be the Green Bay Packers. And in the first round, they selected Quay Walker, linebacker out of Georgia. In the first round, again, they selected Devontae Wyatt, defensive lineman out of Georgia. In the second round, they selected Christian Watson, wide receiver, North Dakota State. Third round, they selected Sean Ryan, offensive lineman out of UCLA. Fifth round, they get Romeo Dubs, wide receiver, or excuse me, fourth round, Romeo Dubs, wide receiver out of Nevada. In the fourth round, again, they get Zach Tom, offensive lineman out of Wake Forest. In the fifth round, they get outside linebacker, edge player, Kingsley Enigbare, South Carolina. In the seventh round, they got Tariq Carpenter, safety, Georgia Tech. In the seventh round, they also got Jonathan Ford, defensive lineman out of Miami. And then they rounded out their draft. They got, or excuse me, 
Second to last pick in the seventh round, they got Rashid Walker, offensive tackle, Penn State. Seventh round, they also got Samori Toure, Nebraska wide receiver. So let's let's just iron this one out. The reason I don't like this draft is going to be for a lot of the picks that they made at the top. Quay Walker, I, I never really understood the fanfare around Quay Walker. I had, I believe it was a late second round, maybe even like a 2-3 grade on Quay Walker. I thought he was big. I thought he was physical. I didn't really see the all-around traits that they discussed. I know he's got a pretty crazy 40-yard dash. He's like a 4-5-2 player. So that makes him kind of this rangy player that they can maybe mold into this this coverage run-stopping specialist. But what I would have rather seen the Packers do here is if they were going to go this route at linebacker, I would have taken Devin Lloyd. Uh, Devin Lloyd was available. They could have made the selection. And Devin Lloyd was my number 10 overall player as compared to Quay Walker, who I believe came in in the mid-40s to 50s for me. Yeah, he was a 49 on my board. So that's a little bit of a reach when there was a much better available player. Uh, the second first-round selection here are going to be Devontae Wyatt. And Devontae Wyatt, once again, was ranked 47 on my board, ended up going 28 to the Packers. So once again, that's quite a bit of a reach. You get a 19-selection reach. It's not terrible especially when you get at the back end of this first round. A lot of these second-round graded players start going. But I would have rather it seen them go a different route, maybe in terms of in terms of like an offensive lineman, maybe got some safety help as well because you're going to have to have a big decision here on Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage in the near future. So maybe a guy like a Dax Hill could have gave you some flexibility in the future while also filling in the nickel at the moment or giving you some depth as well. But uh, Devontae Wyatt, I don't hate this one. Uh, Really, I don't hate any of these selections, but I don't feel as bad about this one as I did about the Quay Walker selection coming across. I think that the defensive line need was a lot bigger than a lot of people realized. I just, I didn't think, I didn't value Wyatt here as much as I would have at the beginning to mid of the second round. So don't necessarily hate this one, but I don't like it. I'm very indifferent about it. Now, the Christian Watson selection, and uh, let me lead this off by saying once again, I don't hate Christian Watson. I thought Christian Watson was a second-round talent at the wide receiver position. I think he's going to be more developmental than a lot of these people think. Uh, He played at North Dakota State where he was averaging like 20 yards a reception So just to put that in perspective, that is absolutely insane. Every time he touches the ball, he's getting 20 yards. I mean, you turn on his his film and it's like a freaking highlight tape. This guy is like hurtling and rolling out against these guys and nobody can keep up with them. And I don't, it's it's unrealistic to believe that he's going to be able to do the same thing with a seamless transition to the NFL. It helps playing with Aaron Rodgers. I will admit that. But this is the kind of player that's going to take a year or two to develop uh, let's take a look like a guy like a Jordy Nelson, who was a wide receiver four before he got really thrust into that big role in this offense. So I don't hate Christian Watson, but I thought that there was, a, once again, a player on the board that I thought could have filled the need and provided them with better production in day one. It's going to be George Pickens. I understand George Pickens has the off-the-field issues, but the guy that he was on the field was 
a guy I was okay with taking at number 28. I knew they weren't going to take a wide receiver in the first round. So that's why when you seen the trade up at 34, it gave me some hope that they were going to take a guy like Pickens. But instead, they ended up taking Watson. Once again, I don't hate the selection. I thought he was more of a tail end of the second round. I was just more disappointed they didn't get the guy that I valued much higher in George Pickens. Moving right along here, Sean Ryan. Uh, there was also some offensive line need on this team. I think that they're a big proponent of just getting the best five guys on the field, whether or not, regardless of position, Elton Jenkins can play like three different spots along the offensive line. And that's going to give you some flexibility in terms of who can play where. So Ryan coming in, doesn't matter where. If he's one of the best five, he's getting on the field. Romeo Dubs, he was a big-time deep threat at Nevada. He really fits the mold of taking that Marquez Valdez-Scantling role. He's not, he doesn't quite have the same size at 6'1", but he's coming in at a, a 4'4", So he's going to be able to push teams vertically, and I think that he sneakily might get in as that like wide receiver three, wide receiver four in this offense, maybe just edging out Randall Cobb. So I really like the Romeo Dubs selection in the fourth round. I think he's got a big-time ceiling, and he can really build up a, a rapport with Aaron Rodgers. Zach Tom, athletic offensive lineman out of Wake Forest, runs a 4-9-40. He fits that wide zone scheme that Lafleur wants to run really well. And then the another pick that I, I watched a little bit of film on this guy, and I kind of understood. I, th- I had like a third, fourth round grade, so I kind of like this one. It's going to be Kingsley Anigbari, uh, outside linebacker, edge defender out of South Carolina. Now, the thing about him is I thought he looked a little slim, and I – his testing didn't quite line up with what I seen on film. I thought he was a little bit more explosive on film, but he he comes in running like a four eight seven forty yard dash. So this one was a little bit more of hey maybe we liked a lot more what we seen on film and he's not the dynamic athlete we're used to seeing. But in the fifth round here, I think you can you can bet on the traits on what he showed against SEC competition. So I actually kind of like that pick. Uh, Scrolling through, the other pick that I really liked that they got was Rasheed Walker. I had, after watching last uh, last year's tape, I had Rasheed Walker graded as like a, a, first, a fringe first-round prospect as an interior offensive lineman. And then he kind of came out this year, and he kind of got really cooked in a lot of reps and looked out of place at offensive tackle. So I think that... He's not going to play offensive tackle, and I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't make the roster. But I think in the seventh round, getting a guy like this, I I kind of was thinking like fourth round for him, so I'm kind of shocked to see him fall to the seventh. Maybe I'm wrong about something. Maybe there is some character flaws here. But I think that this is a huge upside for them and a guy that has some really great film out there when he's playing, especially in the, in the run game. I really liked what he was able to do. So Rasheed Walker... Really good bet in the seventh round. The reason that this draft just makes my bad draft list is the huge reach on Quay Walker in the first. Uh, Ignoring some of the the bigger positions in need and getting some more of the immediate help. Uh, If I had to give it a letter grade, I'm not saying this is like an F by any means, but I'm saying this is more of like a C-. minus. I think that there was some better opportunities at, at the top of the draft. But I thought that they did a really good job in the middle rounds and the late rounds, which is something that we've grown accustomed to at the Green Bay Packers.
The next draft that I was not a huge fan of that was one of our least favorite draft classes is going to be the Arizona Cardinals. Now, the Arizona Cardinals, I just I, I can't get behind pretty much anything that they've been able to do in the last few years under Steve Kimes' direction in the draft. And once again, I really tried not to let the trades play a huge part in this for me. But when you're trading a first-round selection for Marquise Brown, who I think has went over 1,000 yards one time in his career, is hurt all the time. He's like a sub-5, 10, 5, wide receiver who's never really lived up to his first-round selection. That is just flawed process. Uh, maybe it was because they knew about the DeAndre Hopkins thing coming down the pike, and they wanted to get ahead of it and really just appease Kyler Murray. But that's that's not how you should have to build your roster is to appease players. Now... In the second round, they get a player, or let me just run through all their picks here first. It's going to be round two, Trey McBride, tight end, Colorado State. Round three, Cameron Thomas, defensive end, San Diego State. Round three, Maji Sanders, defensive end, Cincinnati. Round six, Keontae Ingram, running back, USC. Round six, I apologize if I get this wrong, Lakita Smith, guard, Virginia Tech. Round seven, Christian Matthew, cornerback, Valdosta State. Round seven, Jesse Lucada, linebacker, Penn State. And then round seven, Marquise Hayes, guard. Excuse me, I don't want to get this college wrong here. Oklahoma. So back to the second round selection, their first selection in the draft. They get a player that I really, really liked. I had a got I had a first round grade, I believe, fringe first round grade on Trey McBride. So you're getting really good value here. But I don't understand taking Trey McBride in the second round when you play as much empty personnel, four wide receiver sets as the Arizona Cardinals do, and after you just signed Zach Ertz to a three- or four-year deal to be your tight end for the near future. Like, he's not going to get quality reps for at least two to three years. And I don't get why you're gonna you're gonna spend a second round pick on that. Unless the Zach Ertz thing, like maybe you just didn't plan on getting value like this and now he's expendable after year one. But you just signed the guy to a contract extension. Now you're trying to draft his replacement. I do think Trey McBride actually might be a better player almost than Zach Ertz at this point. But it's just bad process getting a non-value position here, and when it's you have so many other needs on this roster. Then they went back to back in the third round. Here they get two edge defenders, who I didn't. I don't hate either of them, and I know you got some production you got to replace in Chandler Jones, but. I think if you were going to attack edge defender and try to get some quality at the position, I think you should have stayed at one and tried to get one of these more projection type of guys or maybe traded back from one and got to the top of round two and took a guy like an Arnold Ebicady or a guy like Boye Mafe. A guy that's got a little bit more potential than one of these guys. So... Don't like them reaching, and I don't like them going back-to-back on edge defenders here in Cameron Thomas, on Maje, in Maje Sanders. 
And then the last thing that I wanted to make sure we hit on here is they took a, a whole ton of offensive linemen here in the back of the draft. They take two interior offensive linemen, which is it's just too little too late at that point. You needed premier talent on the trenches on both sides of the ball. And if you weren't going to go at those positions, you needed to get a defensive back. But instead, you walk away from it in this draft, getting two edge defenders who may not play quality snaps for you all season, an undersized wide receiver who you're going to have to pay anywhere from 15 to $20 million after one year, and a backup tight end. That's just something I can't get behind, and that's going to get you at least a C, maybe another C- minus in our book in terms of where this draft stacks up. Moving right along, going to be our last draft that we were not huge fans of is going to be the Chicago Bears and their entire draft hall that they had in the 2022 NFL draft. Now, once again, I, I don't hate the players they took. I didn't hate the value. I'm just very surprised as to where this team is moving forward in terms of how they're building this roster around Justin Fields. I think it's almost criminal what they're going to trot out there for their opening offensive, uh, uh, opening day offensive line. And some of these receivers, I understand, I, I believe it was like seven or eight guys are going to be new coming into the season. Uh, but they're all like late-round draft picks. Oh, my apologies. That was a big yawn there. And they're all undrafted guys. So I think it's almost criminal. The, the surrounding cast, they're going to try to trot out there for him. And it's actually just downright embarrassing almost. But at reading, going through their selections here, it's going to be a second-round pick, Kyler Gordon out of Washington. Uh, another second-round pick, safety, Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State. Third-round selection is going to be Valus Jones, a wide receiver out of Tennessee. Round five, it's going to be Braxton Jones out of Southern Utah. It's going to be round five, Dominique Robertson, Miami, Ohio. It's going to also be round six, Zach Thomas, offensive tackle out of San Diego State. It's going to be round six, Tristan Ebner, running back out of Baylor. Going to be round six, Doug Kramer, offensive lineman out of Illinois. Round seven, Jatir Carter, offensive lineman out of Southern. Round seven, safety Elijah Hicks out of California. And then round seven, Trenton Gill, punter out of NC State. So let's break it down at the top here. I thought cornerback was a sneaky need for these guys, so I understand you taking Kyler Gordon, who is a guy that a lot of teams had sneaking into the first round. That is understandable. I get where you're coming from. I think that there was higher needs in terms of what you needed to add to this roster right here. I think that there could have been a lot different. I mean, you could have went into your offensive line. You could have went offensive tackle. You could have went a lot of different routes here. There's some really good players still on the board at selection number 39. And you elected to go at cornerback who's going to probably slot in as your CB2 behind Jalen Johnson. So don't necessarily think that's as big of a premier pick as offensive lineman, wide receiver, uh, trench player on the defensive side of the ball. But 
they've seen value here at cornerback, and I can't knock them for that. I can I can see the vision at least. Now at pick forty eight, they went Jaquan Brisker. They get the safety out of Penn State, who is a guy that I kind of had as a fringe first round guy. So once again, you're getting pretty decent value here, but. The whole theme of what we're talking about is going to be how criminal it is that they're not surrounding Justin Fields with NFL talent that's going to bring out the best in his game. Once again, you've seen them decline to go offensive line. Uh, You could have went like a Dylan Parham interior offensive lineman. Uh, You could have went Cam Juergens interior offensive lineman, the selection before this one in the second round. You could have went George Pickens here. You could have went a lot of different routes, and you elected to go Jaquan Brisker to round out and add another piece to your defensive backfield that's already starting to get a little bit full with your draft pick you made, Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson. Uh, I think that there was some higher needs and to support your young quarterback who you just took in the first round last year. I understand it was a different regime, but... I'm assuming when you take this position as GM for the Chicago Bears, there's got to be at least some kind of discussion about keeping your first-round selection from the past year. Who was a number three player on my draft board last year? Part of your plans of the future. Looking ahead once again, wide, round three, wide receiver Bayless Jones. Uh, I, I think if you were going to go wide receiver and try to get a guy and I know you did really good. You hit on Darnell Mooney a couple years back. Like I said, different regime, different standards in terms of what they were trying to draft. But you elect to go Valus Jones here and get get an older pro, uh, product. Once again, huge big-time speedster, 4-3-140. But not seeing a ton of proje- production at the NFL, or excuse me, at the college level. I just thought that if you were going to try to get a quality receiver, why not take a chance on one at 48 and get a guy like, oh, excuse me, I had said something come through and lost my train of thought. Why not get a guy like a George Pickens that was just there available to you when you were making your last selection? That would have been something that I could have got behind to get a big target for uh, Justin Fields to throw to and not taking a swing on a big speed guy out of uh, Tennessee, where you're not going to see the same high-level production. So the, the entire theme of this draft and some of the picks at the top here that we really didn't like is going to be the failure to support Justin Fields. And it's going to be a shame when we see him fall apart and not get the help he needs on this offense, not going to get him the protection he needs to, to get through his progressions and makes him run for his life and display the athleticism at a level that he shouldn't have to. But once again, here we are. We're talking about the Chicago Bears having a terrible terrible draft and having a terrible process. It's a, it's rinse, wash, repeat at this point. And I feel bad for Justin Fields. I just really hope that he can get himself out of this situation and get into one that's going to be more supportive of him in the future. The last thing I want to do on this week's pod is going to be keeping ourselves accountable and taking a look at some of those uh, draft props I gave out in previous weeks. So if I'm taking a look here, the first one that we had was going to be first cornerback selected. And the odds were Ahmad Gardner, Derek Stingley Jr., Trent McDuffie. I believe I said 
when this one came out is I don't necessarily think Stingley is going to be the first cornerback off the board, but that one has the most value if that's what you're looking to, to get out of this exercise. And sure enough, Stingley ends up going and being the first one off the board. And if you would have cashed in on that, that's plus 275. 100 bucks would have bought you almost 300 So that was a really good bet. That was a good one to give out. And if you really believed in Stingley, you cashed in on that one. Uh, the next one up is going to be the first offensive lineman selected. And when we take a look at the list here, it's Ikema Kwanu, Evan Neal, and Charles Cross. I believe I had also said on this one that uh, Ikema Kwanu should be the favorite on this. Uh, he had been getting some buzz at one. But they end up all sliding past the sixth overall selection. Ikema Kwanu is the first one off the board. So if you'd have bet the favorite on that one at minus 130, you would have got it. And it would have hit for you. But there wasn't a ton of value in that one. I think I believe I had said that if you were kind of sleeping, saying that they were going to fall and you wanted to bet on Cross or Evan, you thought there was value, uh, you could do so. But it wasn't one that I was necessary, necessarily believing in. In terms of the first overall pick, I believe at the time when we had been talking about it, Hutchinson was the favorite. If you were able to cash in and get Trayvon Walker at plus 175, I think he was almost minus 300 by the time the draft had started. So you could really see how the odds had really swung, and it was it was kind of apparent he was going to come off the clock or come off the board first. So if you cashed it and you got uh, Walker at the right time, that was a good bet. I was a firm believer with Hutchinson until about a day or two before the draft. So I was in that party as well. Next bet that we had uh, given out on the show a couple weeks back was going to be the first quarterback selected. And when I'm taking a look at the list, I believe our pick was Malik Willis. Uh, he had been minus 130 at the time of the episode and uh, ended up being Kenny Pickett. So if you were a big Kenny Pickett believer, of which this podcast was not one, uh, you cashed in at plus 135, but it had really good odds on that one. Um, Malik Willis ends up falling all the way to the third round in stunning fashion and making my selection look really dumb. But either way, it was it was not a good bet if that was one of the, the things you were interested in getting into there on couple weeks back before the draft uh the next prop bet that they had put out there was going to be the first running back taken uh this one was pretty easily hands down going to be Brees hall everything you heard it was going to be Brees hall i was never really a kenneth walker believer i thought he was a good player didn't really think he was a a great player so this one ends up being a bad a bad beat for anybody that was looking to get in on this one but uh, minus 300, there wasn't even really a ton of value there. You'd have to bet $300 just to win 100. So that ends up not being the greatest bet either. Uh, first wide receiver taken, uh, Garrett Wilson minus 113, Jameis Williams plus 175, Drake London plus 260. I believe on the the episode we had was Garrett Wilson being the favorite and Jameis Williams kind of being that dark horse sleeper that you could get some money on. Well, it ends up the dark horse sleeper really being Drake London, who ends up being the first one taken. So if you also got it on Drake London at plus 260, that was some very real value there. I didn't think uh, the NFL would value a, a non-separator, big jump ball guy like they did Drake London, but I ended up being wrong there as well. So not looking too hot. We're like one for five here. 
moving right along. Actually, my apologies, we're two for five. So either way, still not looking very hot on this one. The next prop that was going to be up on the list here is going to be the number two overall selection. And basically, once it came down that Trayvon Walker was going to be the number one overall selection, pretty much the day of, I'm sure the odds on Hutchinson skyrocketed for the number two overall selection, him being the hometown hero there in Detroit. But basically, if you could have got in on this a week early, like when we were discussing this and put the bet out there that you had this inkling that Hutchinson wasn't going to go number one, you really could have cashed in and got some really good value on him. I, I believe he was plus 175 at the time of recording to be the second overall selection. So that was one that uh, I believe we gave out to Chase if you did not think he uh, was going to go number one. So I'll chalk that one up as a win in my book. Uh, for the third overall selection, this is where it started to come off the rails just a hair for us. Uh, ended up we ended up giving out a mod Gardner. I loved a mod Gardner number three. I thought I was convinced that the Houston Texans were going to take a corner to help start building around that lovey uh, Smith defense. I just didn't buy into the, the buzz that it was going to be Stingley. What well, ends up being Stingley and you get insane value at plus 800 on that. So that could have been big if you could have went along with that one and then doubled up with it on the corner one that we had at the earlier part of the show that we gave out. So also another one that we were, not cool. We were on the right track, didn't get it right though. So we're both three for six now. Now, just a few more uh, over unders that we had, and over under on Dax Hill, we gave out the under on it. I thought that there was no way he's making it past Tampa Bay. He ends up going to the Cincinnati Bengals in the back half of the first round. So that one hits on the over. So now we're three for seven. Derek Stingley's draft position. We gave out the under on this one. Nine and a half seemed crazy, crazy low on him. So I gave out the under, and that one ended up hitting. So we ended up going four for eight here. And then the last one that I look hindsight now, it's going to look really bad because we were really wrong on the quarterback situation. I not only thought that these quarterbacks are going to be overvalued, the NFL doubled down and went the complete opposite direction. We only had one in the first round and only three in the first three rounds. So Desmond Ritter, the over-under set at 29 and a half. I hammered the under on this one. Uh, I was buying into the fact that <laughs> he was going to go in the first round, and boy, was I wrong. So we end up going four for nine on our picks. Not terrible, not great. Some of them had some really, really good value, like the Derek Stingley ones. Uh, so if you could have cashed it on them, you could have probably made all your money back just in those wins alone. So it was a fun draft. Uh, really, really unpredictable uh, from top to bottom. The, the process was much more hidden this year. There was a lot more we don't know who's going to go where at the top of the draft that you normally don't see. Uh, we, we've seen some of the stuff shake down the day of. But that's, I mean, that's the best part of the draft is we never know what any of this stuff's going to look like. And that's what makes it fun year in and year out. So that's going to be it for the show this week. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, once again, uh, our favorite part of the year, the draft, the offseason as a whole, pretty much coming to a close here as a lot of these teams approach their offseason uh, programs and start to ramp up for the season. So on next week's episode, we're not going to be taking a break just yet. We're going to come back to you with a 2023 mock draft. We're going to dive into some of those uh, early 
summer scouting prospects, some of the favorites to go early next year, kind of like what we did uh, this past year. So make sure you tune in for that. Make sure you hit subscribe so that one comes across your feed once it gets released. Otherwise, we'll talk to everybody next week. Appreciate your time.